0: welcome welcome a notable welcome to all you music lovers to journey to the stage
1: ladies and gentlemen please welcome back your host your host and our dad
0: brian frazier,
1: frazier. what was that ruckus uh, what ruckus hey everyone and welcome to journey to the stage with brian Fraser. thanks for tuning in we've got a great episode with a very very talented artist today that i'm really excited to chat with before we dive into our conversation, if you haven't done so already, wherever you're listening, if you could just hit that follow button, that like button, leave a rating a review or subscribe. Those things really, really are such a huge help to an indie podcaster like myself and always very much appreciated when you do that. So thank you. My guest today is a gifted singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist who has a brand new album out called Reckless Thoughts. It is a real pleasure for me to welcome to Journey to the Stage. Maya Sharp, Maya, thank you for joining me. How are you doing?
2: Hello, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me.
1: So you are in Nashville, and so we're recording this is right before the holidays. Are you? Do you get mm-hmm. snow in your little corner of the world over there, or what's what's that like right now?
2: Well, I have. I think uh, I've been here for four winters now, and I think we've had snow for three of them. <laughs> so. Wow. One thing, unlike my hometown of Los Angeles, though, you kind of never know around here what you're going to get. It could feel like a sunny day, and then the next day it's an ice storm and maybe a tornado thrown in, you know. So no telling, and I'm just kind of ready for anything.
1: And you're from California, so you went from earthquakes to tornadoes. I don't know which I would prefer. (laughs) Tornadoes scare me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, the first one, the one that came really like right through my neighborhood was in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. And I was such a California fool. Like I had no idea what it looked like, sounded like, Mm -hmm. smelled like. There's a sense that people who have seen one before, they know when to go hide. And I was the one that was like still looking out the window when it roared up on us. But now I know. Oh, wow. But I think still, I would vote for the tornado just because at least you get a little bit of warning, you know.
1: So we kind of did things in, in reverse order. So I was born in LA and moved to the Central Central Valley uh, part of California. You mm-hmm. were born in Central Valley and moved to LA from, from right. Visalia, as we talked about before we started recording. And so you went, what part of LA did you move to?
2: Well, when I was five, we moved down to L.A. I lived in the San Fernando Valley uh, oh, okay. all through high school and college. And then, um, yeah, I was there, you know, f- you know, for the Valley Girl stuff.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah.
2: Like, like, I even, oh, my God, even thinking about it, I say like more. I even shopped at the Galleria and the whole deal. When I moved out, I moved into like the Mid-Wilshire area around, you know, Fairfax and La Brea sure yeah. I was there for probably 22 years. I thought I was going to be in my home state for my whole life. There was no reason to move outside of California. I still love it. I still feel like a California girl. Yeah. But um, about four years ago, it just made a lot more sense to uh, not try to live and work there and to take mm-hmm. a swing at, at here. You know, I've been coming to Nashville for Probably twenty years or so trying to take a regular trip here because there's just such a bevy of songwriters here and I have a lot yeah, of friends here yeah. now. but it never felt like it could potentially be home until until then until like a number of stars aligned for it and I'm um, happy to report it's it, it feels like home.
1: but as we mentioned earlier, there's so many Californians that are living there now, so that's got to be helpful and it sounds like you've got a, a good uh, network of friends and other connections so good for you. All. So I was introduced to you, not as a person, but as an artist. Uh, It was like the early two thousands, maybe two thousand one, two thousand two. I can't remember when you co-wrote and co-performed on an album with Art Garfunkel and Buddy Mundlock. It was Everything Waits to Be Noticed, which really, really is an absolutely incredible album. Every single song on there is—it's just easy to love. It's—it's a really good album. And growing up, a huge fan of Simon and Garfunkel personally and then their solo careers Uh, when i bought that album i was like wow this is so good and i would love to start there a little bit and and then we'll kind of go back a little bit in your own personal timeline artist timeline how did that album come about how did your connection to art garfunkel come about
2: billy Mann is how that whole idea got started and how it got seen all the way through he produced the album and he was a mutual friend of all three of us Oh, wow. He had he had the idea that our three voices would probably blend well. And also, Art, who had written prose but had not written songs up, up until that point, he thought that the two of us, Buddy and I, would be a good place for Art to start. He felt like that was kind of a safe place, you know? So we actually started writing those songs based on Art's prose. Like, we... We started wow. with a couple of phrases that he had already written, so he's basically already a co-writer before he even says anything in the room because we're starting mm-hmm. with his seat. His ideas are were so rich and layered and just beautiful language. And by the way, he speaks like that also. Like it he isn't does. Just yeah. the prose in the book. When you're having a conversation with him, it just. I'm pretty sure I learned a new vocabulary word every time we talk. <laughs> and he's really dry. He's really funny. He can definitely be serious. But there's a lot of poetry in there. And we started, so we started, I guess the first time we got together to write, I want to say we wrote three songs. And all of them were started with with um, a couple to four lines of what art had 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 already written. And then we, uh, we did three or four writing trips at that point. The three of us were living in th- three different cities. So Art was in New York and Buddy was in Nashville. I was in Los Angeles. So we alternated like we did. Our first writing trip was uh, everybody met in Nashville and everybody met in New York, then LA. And then we went back to Nashville to write a couple more and to record there. So by the time... We got to that point, and I don't even know over how long this was. I want to say it was maybe almost a year, maybe a little less than that. At that point, we had a pretty good pool of songs that the three of us, or the four of us, actually, Billy was in on a few of those also. The four of us had written in various combinations, and then we looked to a couple of outside songs.
1: Oh Yeah, there's, a I think, a song written by Garth Brooks on there.
2: Yeah, then we... We had the recording experience that um, I can't even tell you. I I remember vividly like it was last week mm-hmm. standing next to Art because he wanted to sing unison at the same time. Um, oh, wow. We intentionally avoided just three-part harmony everywhere. So it tended mm-hmm. to be like unison with like a cascading third part or like one low-harmony. With a unison, or uh, Art is doing like a unison with himself above us, playing, you know, a two part harmony. We really tried to mix it up. So when you do hear that three part harmony, you haven't for a while. So it's something that you actually wanted to hear, right? There was a moment where Art requested that him and I do our unison on the mic at the same time. And he kicked into his just, turbo art breathy giant lung long note and i had to match <laughs> the tonality of that and wow. he's i don't i don't know how, how many years he has on me but it's you know it's probably 20ish or 25ish <laughs> he kicked my ass <laughs> <He> just, <laughs> I literally had to pull up a stool and lean on it because I was getting faint from trying to push through as much air as he was yeah. to sound anything like him for the unison to sound like anything. And I finally got there, but it was a lot of work. And he just—it was just a Tuesday for him. That's just—that's <laughs> just how he sings. It was so strong and so breathy and so perfect that um, I knew I had a couple things to learn after that
1: just as an artist yourself and as a singer, that must have been pretty surreal because, you know, as a fan, you know, I mean, art has the voice of an angel. He has one of the greatest instruments I have ever heard somebody use. I mean, he is just incredible. And uh, I I can imagine holding a note like that, shaping it, right? So you you match him tonally. It must have just been so difficult. I can I can picture that in the studio, and and I know Art just from reading about him. He's a perfectionist in the studio, and um, yeah. that must have been quite quite an experience. I actually had I met Art I think it was 1992, and had um, it was a a show where he and Paul had played together for the first time in a long time. It was at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in LA. I know you knew where that's at and, uh, got a chance to connect with him, got my picture taken with him. He could not have oh, been cool. more charming and kind and, uh, just very, very nice. It was late and he stood there and we had a nice conversation, but I know what you mean about his vocabulary is massive because he reads the dictionary, at least he used to. So he was yeah. constantly learning new words and, um, you know, just one more note on that. I had, um, Carol Kay bass player. I don't know if you know who she is, yeah. but she was part of the, oh, yeah, the wrecking crew. Fantastic. And she yeah. talked about, she recorded several songs with, uh, Simon and Garfunkel when they did some recording out here on the West coast. And she got to, she, she said her and art would start talking in the studio because he's so easy to talk to it. <laughs> they'd get in trouble from the book. Okay guys, we need to get going here. But, uh, just because right. he's so conversational and, and warm that way. So what an experience that must have been, because I know you were a, a fan before. But yeah, do, have you had any contact with art since then?
2: Yeah, we actually used used to get together for lunch whenever he would come to L.A. or whenever I would go to New York. It's been a minute though, probably five or six years. Yeah, but I, I remember the last time we got together; it was a lot of fun.
1: So I'm curious, you know, because you've been at this for a while now. You've been, you know, recording for. 25 plus years and stuff. and mm-hmm. But when you go back, when you look back at the beginning, when you first started on this pathway, like what was it? What was your motivation? What made you say, this, this is the path I'm going to follow? Like what was that decision process like for you?
2: Well, the music path started with me thinking I was going to be a saxophone player. Um, oh, really? I went to college for that. And I was playing in all you know, all the jazz ensembles and started playing around town. I played it in a lot of horn sections. Did a little bit of traveling with that. I have to say, there are a few things more fun than playing in an R and B horn section. Wow. <laughs> that was really a blast. <laughs> Not sure how to how to make a living at it really, but uh <laughs> wow, that yeah. was fun. And I started writing music for saxophone and it was fine. I knew I was close to what I was supposed to be doing. I was in Los Angeles, so I was hustling for work and, you know, like a lot of people do in Los Angeles.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but there was something about it. It, wasn't, it just wasn't quite aligning. You know, I grew up listening to Bonnie Raid and Joni Mitchell and... Uh, Ricky Lee Jones and James Taylor and Jackson Brown and that, you know, and that, that vibe. And although I was enjoying listening to and digging into Sonny Rollins and Wayne Shorter and John Coltrane and Cannonball Adderley and all that stuff, that was a lot of fun, but it wasn't quite all of it yet. So I was playing with my friends that I was going to school with and they're playing in all these like indie rock Americana bands around the city. So I start going to see them and realize that's actually kind of more in line with what I want to do. So I started writing songs, even though I had been kind of writing prose here and there, but I I wasn't doing that seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started writing songs about halfway through college. And then I got the nerve up to present a couple of these songs to some of the writers that my friends were playing with and um, asked if they wanted to co-write. I did also have a huge advantage. My father, Randy Sharp, is a wonderful songwriter. He's had a lot of success, and he's just a craft-forward, just great uh-huh. person to learn from also. He's also just... Awesome. Really easygoing and helpful and great at it. <laughs> so, my first co-write experience was with him. So, I feel like I had the opportunity to learn maybe more quickly than I would have otherwise. And so, I found the nerve to go present a couple songs. One of them was to the writer, leader of a band that some friends of mine were playing in. His name is Mark Addison. He liked the songs and said yes to the co-write. I didn't have anything happen. I didn't have you know a publishing deal or any kind of label interest or anything like that. We wrote a song that he then passed that he handed into his publisher, who pitched it to Share's producer, who pitched it to Share, and then we had a share cut. So once I had a I had wow. something in the in the fire now, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. I was already falling for the writing itself. Like, that just felt right. I wasn't sure how I was going to make it work as a job yet. You know, I knew because I had seen through my dad that it could be a successful career, but I still wasn't kind of seeing my path to that. Once I had the share cut and then just the pitching around of that song got some interest with who uh, with the label that turned out to be my first label and so the share album and my first record deal pretty much happened in the same year hearing a voice like shares that you're you've heard for years hearing yeah, that voice sing your song like okay I'm totally hooked on that <laughs> and if I could do that I mean Really, you asked about like where it started, started. If I could have just been a writer and not pursued being an artist, I may have stayed there for a while. But I knew that if I wanted to get all the songs that I was writing and that I was proud of and that I wanted to get out into the world, if I wanted them to be heard, chances are I was not going to be able to find another artist to to record all of these songs because I saw how hard it was to just get that one. So... I was gonna have to figure out my introverted stuff and get myself <laughs> up on a stage and be the center. Like I had been yeah. used used to being the sideman, you know, on sax or maybe a harmony vocal, you know, maybe a little bit of keyboard or something, but like to be the artist was not, not really who I was. Like it, it, I had mm-hmm. to really push through some stuff to, to get up on a stage and to claim that spot. It took me a long time actually to enjoy that. At first I was just doing it because I wanted the songs out there. Now I really love it, but it all started with the writing.
1: I'm so curious. It sounds like, you know, having access obviously to your dad and being able to learn from him in in a place that is nurturing and comfortable and, you know, informed, you know, having a dad like that must've been such, such a great help. I'm curious about maybe other other writers that you have found. You've, you've mentioned some great talents. You've mentioned people like James Taylor and so on. Uh, who are maybe some of those writers that kind of helped you get the bug? Like, wow, these people know how to do it. I want to be able to do it to that level. Like, what were some of those artists and writers for you?
2: Well, Paul Simon was a huge one for me. Ricky Lee Jones. Listened to a lot of oh. Ricky Lee Jones. Joni Mitchell for sure Mm -hmm. I was hooked on a Willis Allen Ramsey album that came out in the 70s that was like one of my folks favorite I listen I mean I was raised on their choices which were great I can't even tell I I fully appreciate how fortunate I am because I have a lot of Mm -hmm. friends whose parents were listening to things they were like they could not wait (laughs) to go (laughs) choose their own music now when I choose my own music it's what they're what they were already listening to anyway, you know? So, yeah, I think when I first like started to break it down, probably Paul Simon was that first mm-hmm. one where I was like, oh man, I wish I'd thought of that. Ooh, that twist and the turn, the implication. Yeah. It's literal yeah. for a while and then it's just off the rails and it's, but it's emotionally very understandable. He bounces around between the head and the heart. He just, he does that so well he might have been the first one after my dad he's really a pro
1: with you kind of coming from you know being a sax player and playing in in r&b and jazz do you detect any of those influences those early influences from from those styles that kind of leak into some of your modern uh, your last several albums or even any of them really do you do you pick up any of that influence on any of that work you've done
2: I like to think, I hope that all of the aspects of music that we do, you know, they all inform each other. So, yeah, I I can't imagine that that work, especially because it was a lot of hours, you know, the transcribing of the John Coltrane solo, (laughs) a note at a time, (laughs) you know, that that kind of stuff, figuring out how it worked in the chord and most of the time why the hell does that work in the chord like if i feel yeah. like i i never would have thought of that if i played it it would have sounded horrible but he just rocked it you know i think it might show up now at this point cuz i don't i don't play a whole lot of saxophone although i did pull it out for this last album i take a sax solo on, on one of the songs for the first time in a couple albums I think nice. it probably influences melody. I think mm. I, I might hear an arc of a melody. It mm. might be horn-like, just because of all the years that I put in. Jazz changes, though, you know, it's funny. I, I have friends that have kind of gone through it like this also, where you're learning your chords, you know a handful, you go to school, you learn them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then you try them all all the time. <laughs> right, like, right. Right. Okay. Oh, how about something in thirteen eight? Okay. How about um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do the sharp eleven and it's gonna go to my half diminished. It's gonna uh, yeah, you know. And then it's like, and then once you're through that, you you try to find a kind of happy middle ground. I remember about th- three years into college, after all of my songs were just add this and sharp that and just as like thick like every extension and every alteration on every chord right. I remember hearing the indigo girls oh I feel that <laughs> let me figure out what they're doing and it mm-hmm. was uh harmonically very far away from where I was and it brought me hard back to the other side it's mostly about the lyric and the melody and the story and the chord changes. Like if you're interested in learning one of my songs, it probably wouldn't take you very long. It's not all that rich and thick like it used to be.
1: Well, and I think that's okay. And, and, and for you to be able to have all of those colors to be able to paint with, they're there when you need them, I think it only makes you greater as, a, as an artist and as a, as a writer. So, you know, Thank you've you. got that background and you can draw from it whenever you want to. So I think this is your ninth studio album. If you kind of were to take a step back a little bit and you know, I think your first album came out in ninety-seven, obviously you'd been doing music forever before that. How do you think, you know, kind of big picture you've you've changed over the years as an artist, that you've developed, we talked you talked a little bit about this right now in your writing. How you've moved, you know, maybe more from the horn oriented, some of those chord voicings and things like that that you might have been drawn to earlier. How do you think you maybe have developed as an artist, as a writer, since your first album came out in 97?
2: Well, hopefully a lot with every album. I'm always trying to not sound like the last thing, but still make sense to somebody who liked the last thing, you know? I think the biggest shift in the last two albums in particular has been that I just am more interested in writing about true things now. Hmm. And when I started, I was very interested in the craft itself. Hmm. And there would be truth, but I would abandon it if the craft called me away from it. Like if the song, if there was something that felt like it was a little more clever or... A twist of a last line, and it it wasn't where maybe the story started in my mind. I also would write about things that I observed, friends, scenarios that I just thought up out of thin air. Mm-hmm. I would have no problem doing that and fully enjoy that. And so mm-hmm. a lot of those songs, although, you know, whether you intend on it or not, the truth tends to simmer up and show up whether you think you're writing about it or not. There's probably a little bit of what you needed to get out in your song or your poem or, you know, or your painting or your woodwork, whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, a part of you is going to get out in that. Um, but lately it's very intentional. I am really just interested in, in writing about something real and also, About six years ago, I started writing for an organization called Songwriting with Soldiers, where Uh I sit down with either one, two, or up to, I just had a a group of 10, actually, veterans, active duty service members, first responders. They tell me whatever part of their story they want to tell me, and it's my job to make a song out of that in a pretty short amount of time. Like anywhere between two to three hours and i remember when i started it scared the crap out of me like that's yeah. impossible i've, I've sure. always been the slow the slowest writer in the room and always actually kind of proud of that like why are we rushing this like right you know right. we want this thing you know ideally to be timeless who cares if we finished it in time for lunch you know let's
0: you know, <laughs> let's work on it
2: i was that person yeah. but then mm-hmm. now there's no that's not a luxury it's you know it isn't a choice and it feels very important that I get it right
1: Well it seems like it would be so much harder to write about somebody else's story and, and as you mentioned just feeling the the weight of wanting to get their story right because if we're writing about ourselves we can you know you can move in and out of you know other topics that kind of stray away to give you know some screening so to speak or protection but when you're telling someone else's story, I can imagine there's a lot of pressure to want to get that right, so I, I, I could understand what you're saying. That's, but what a great organization! What a great gift! After you write these songs, like what, where do they go? What happens with those?
2: Well, they're available to them. If it's a retreat through Songwriting with Soldiers, we just send them the song. There's another. Uh, we work with an uh, organization called the Warrior Path. And they have an app where the, where the song is posted, but it's all very internal. You know, it's like the song is written for them and it is theirs. It's not public yet. We're looking at ways to make that happen, but, um, actually we're looking hard at ways to make that happen. So hopefully that'll be, that'll be next year ish.
1: Wow. How rich that must be. That's, that's really neat that you are a part of that and how, wonderful it must be for these people who just need some healing in art. Music can be such a big part of that. I think we should listen to a song. So we were talking about what song we should play. I think people need to hear, well, the whole album is wonderful and that's why I'm glad you gave some choices, things we could choose from. So we talked about playing Fallen Angel. Give us a little bit of background and then we're gonna listen to it.
2: Well, this one's actually a pretty cool follow-up to what I was just saying about being more loyal to the truth. So Fallen Angel I wrote alone. It's actually the only one on this album that I wrote alone. Um, I co-wrote all of the other songs on the the album. Fallen Angel is a projected scene. It is a conversation Mm -hmm. between somebody that I was interested in. And even though we never got together, it was just me imagining it. And we're actually really good friends still, so it's fine. It felt like something just just to get it out and get it out there. And it's really it's one of the more fun ones to sing. It feels like a celebration, even if reality didn't quite catch up to the song. But um, (laughs) it still feels like a celebration to sing it.
1: Well, we've all been there. (laughs) Well, cool. Let's (laughs) check the song out. This is "Fallen Angel" by Maya Sharp.
0: She said, honey, don't fall for a fallen angel. I said, baby. and faithful.
1: What a song. I And I think uh, this whole album is so easy to listen to. I remember the, the first time I listened to it, I, I sat down, headphones on, listened top to bottom, and I was like, wow, what a gifted writer you are. And I, I just love your voice, too. And I, I, I hope Thanks. this is an album that, that uh, everybody will either buy a download of, stream, add to their new playlist. Okay. You've been doing this, as I mentioned, your first album came out in 97 things have changed so much in the music industry Mm -hmm. since then. When you first started recording, people were buying albums and CDs and then downloads. You were, you know, right then, you know, right as, as iTunes was coming in and everything. How has it been for you as an artist to kind of live through those changes, try to, succeed through those changes. What is that like for you now in in terms of, you know, where you've come from?
2: It's been a series of frustration, adaptation, frustration, adaptation, (laughs) you know, finding the next formula to get through the next two or five years, however long this particular version of the business is going to last. The hardest wallop was when people stopped actually purchasing music and Mm -hmm. everybody went over to stream. I've always just kind of recalibrated and whether it meant like leaning more heavily on live shows, you know, where there's a check at the end of the night writing for other artists often led to, or not often, but occasionally would lead to production. So I would be the one who produced the album that had the songs that we were writing. So that was helpful. NYU made me adjunct at NYU. So
1: Nice. Very I, I, cool. I've
2: private student. So if you or somebody you know is uh about to be a songwriting major there, <laughs> they might have me as a private instructor. <laughs> Very so, cool. So yeah, it's been and I learn a lot from that too. I really really love that. It's been a combination of stirring things up and creating things out of nothing and also trying to react to the right things. I know I'm extremely fortunate that I am still in this 25 years later and and probably five different versions of survival. I still get to do something that I love. So I feel very thankful for that
1: as a supporter of artists of all calibers, indie artists, you know top to bottom, I always always encourage people buy a download if they don't have physical CDs or buy a CD, go to shows, bring a friend, buy some merch, meet the artist, tell them thank you like these are things that I think are so important because, The economy for artists has changed so much. And I just saw a post, and this makes me so angry that the CEO of Spotify is worth like three point something billion dollars, never written a song, and he's three times richer than Paul McCartney. And I am sorry. That makes my blood absolutely boil. And then we have artists like you and so many others that are like, this is really tough, this is really tough. And with the you know economy, uh, being on the road can be oftentimes challenging. So I, I have a great deal of uh, empathy and compassion for artists today. And really it comes, this is where it comes to us as listeners, as fans, we have to do our part to support the artists that we love. If not, they're gonna go away. And uh, we can't have that happen. So hope everybody listening takes that to heart. I know I get on the soapbox probably on just about every episode because I think it's so important.
2: Thank you for saying that. I also forgot to mention June of 2020, I started a Patreon. So if you like what you hear, there's all kinds of like unreleased brand new songs, live streams. I do that also. And even after getting through the lockdown where I wasn't able to do any live shows out, I realized how much it was helping me also just kind of keep me inspired to keep keep things fresh. It makes me finish that song. It makes me record yeah. the guitar vocal of the, or it makes me even sometimes re, re-record some old song that was never on my album. It, it never landed on anybody else's album, but it made me go find it. And now I love it. And now I'm thinking about it for my next album, you know, stuff like yeah. that. Like there's all these things that I, I wouldn't have explored if um, it weren't for the Patreon. O sphere as I call it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. If anybody's uh, interested in that, it's just patreon.com slash Maya sharp.
1: And I'll, I'll put the link to that in the show description. Cool. So wherever everybody's listening, you guys can just scroll down. The links will be there, including to, Maya's band page uh, so you can get all the tour dates and everything so let's talk about being out on the road you have some shows planned for uh you know early next year and kind of moving forward are you going to be out on the road more because you've got an album to support what what are your plans looking like
2: you know I kind of see this album cycle as as long as I want it to be (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I'll probably be uh I'll probably be supporting it all through next year. The only confirmed shows right now on the books are in the Northeast. Have a good agent, and we're looking for, uh, you know, we're always looking for more, so, and I'll always have them posted.
1: Well, it's that time of the year. I know a lot of artists and bands are plotting out their spring and and even into summer for next year, so everybody listening, Mm -hmm. just swing by Maya's page every once in a while and see when uh, she's going to be in your neck of the woods. Go out and see her and just uh, introduce yourself, and say thank you, and so I, I love to ask this question to artists, especially those that have been been doing this for a while. And it sounds like you you have the opportunity to interact with some up and coming writers and artists. But if somebody came up to you, say after a show, and says, "You know, I've been I've been playing piano, I've been playing guitar for a while, and I'm starting to write a little bit." What do you think? You might say to that maybe some things that you've learned on your own journey that you think would be good to impart to somebody who's where you stood, you know, in the in the early 90s, in the mid 90s.
2: I think I would have the asterisk first of the way it worked for me isn't necessarily going to be the way that it works for somebody else. Mm-hmm. There are two things that I feel like were very important for me to to keep on moving forward. And sometimes, P.S., that was very slowly. Like, like sometimes it was just the love of the process and the love of the work itself with very few returns that kept me moving. Fortunately, there were returns kind of just in time a lot of the time to keep things kind of going forward, but a lot of the time it was just like me slugging away at this thing that I love because I love it. The two things that I feel like were key, one is that I tried to get proficient in as many things as I could. I play the guitar. I play the piano. I wrote. I just logged flight hours. I wrote as often as I could. This leads to the other thing. I collaborate a lot. I write with other writers. I Mm -hmm. like to record with other people. I mean there's definitely cave time where I'm alone here in yeah. the room and I'm you know I do a lot of pre-production and I do a lot of a lot of post but I like to uh, I like to work with other people get constantly influenced by them learn from them writing songs with other people is how I can basically trace all of the first really good things that happened it's how I got my first outside Outside recording, like with Cher, yeah. that's the way I got my, f- my first record deal. When you collaborate, you obviously, you give your song twice as many champions, you know? There's somebody else that's out there hoofing it also and trying to get your right. song heard. You expand the way you maybe would have thought about that lyric or that harmony or, you know, there's just, it's just a constant learning process and it's just kind of better advertising when there is you know second or third person also on the song even if it takes getting over like me i know a lot of writer artists might be on the shy side might Mm -hmm. be the introvert just wanted to kind of be alone with a notebook in a room yeah but if you can push through that and it's i'm not saying that's easy because it's not but when you push through it and introduce yourself to people and play them your songs and ask if they want to write, those things tend to lead to the good stuff. Yeah. And a community. Which then even when everybody is rolling and has a little something going on, you're in a community that can kind of lift each other up and can refer each other and can introduce each other to new people.
1: Collaborate and become an expert. Know what you're doing and know how to work your way not only Around your instrument but around the studio so you can those are tools that you can bring to the table that could open up additional doors for for any artist so I think those are really really good things to leave with people so I certainly appreciate your your thoughtful answers your insights and I I really hope that everybody will buy a download buy a physical copy if they're available go see Mm -hmm. a show and beyond those things I think you know people adding uh, this album to their playlist. If they hear a couple of cuts or the whole album, they just fall in love with. Text a link to your friends. Share it from whatever platform you listen on. Uh, share it on your socials. This is how we help artists when we find that we love to be able to find a wider audience. So doing those things for everybody's listening can be such a huge help to an artist like Maya. So Maya, I, 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 I really, that. really have enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so, so much for for hanging out with me this morning
2: well thank you so much for asking i really i really enjoyed it too and uh uh, you know along the physical copy line i did the fiscally irresponsible thing of pressing vinyl so that's out there too (laughs) oh
0: very
1: cool nice so i'll put the link so people who people can buy those from you and i would imagine they're yeah so i'll i'll get all those links put together and they'll be down in the show notes for everybody so you can just click a link get yourself a copy so yeah thank you for joining me this morning it was a great chatting with you
2: Yeah, it really was. Thank you so much, Brian. I really
1: Yeah, and thank you everybody for listening. If you've enjoyed my conversation with Maya Sharp, please share it with your friends on your socials, give a kind rating or review or subscribe. Those things are massively helpful to little indie podcasters like myself. I look forward to the next time we can walk a stretcher road with another artist. So keep your bags packed and join us on our next journey to the stage. And that is a wrap.